0: this was recorded live at trinity church in san juan puerto rico for more information go to trinitypr.org well um so it's the advent season and um the idea is that this is a season that would like awaken our hope and our joy if you um don 't come from that kind of liturgical background I mean there's been like double whammy robes and an advent season reading all that kind of stuff, but Advent just comes from the Latin word Adventist Jeff mentioned this it, that word means like coming or appearing or arrival and, and so every December we celebrate that we kind of interrupt our calendars to to to, to remember this hope and it has its roots in the old Testament uh, there are All the way back from the very beginning, there is whispers of this king who would come. And when he comes, he is supposed to fix everything and restore and renew all things. And then, of course, so we know that 2,000 years ago was the first Christmas. Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and that was the first advent. Now, we as modern people, we live between these two advents. We live because there is a promise that that same king who came 2,000 years ago will come again, and he's going to fix all the sad things in the world, and he's going to make everything right once again. And so there is this hope of renewal, this hope of restoration, and that hope is baked into our calendars, right? I mean, that's what all these lights are about. It's baked into our calendars. Now, this hope... That I'm talking about has so much benefit, so many benefits. I wanna talk about one today because I've gotta keep it short, but it's the benefit of peace. I want you to have real peace because we live in a frantic world. I mean, you guys are like one Instagram picture, one Facebook message, one tweet, one headline from your day absolutely being ruined. And you wanna know why? Because the things that normally give us peace are extremely delicate and fragile. our anger and our anxiety and our disappointment, all of that has roots in these like um, these unmet expectations in my pastoral experience. every bit of like resentment and disappointment that you have comes from unmet and expectations or unmet anticipations. You're anticipating something and it doesn't pay out. I'm, I'm talking about little things and big things. Like, you know, you're like so excited about the new Apple, you know, the Apple iWatch or whatever it is. And, um, And it's cool for a couple days, but it just tells time mostly. You know what I mean? Like, dang, it just doesn't pull through. It's a little bit disappointing. It could be eat uh, a meal. Like, man, you're excited about this meal. But the actual food cannot, um, it it cannot like uh, pay out. It, It doesn't taste as good as you remember it, you know? Or even hard things like marriage, right? I mean, I do a lot of marriage counseling. And you have these two people who are just sure that marriage is going to do something, right? It's, it's going to fix you. It's going it's to be that dream, and it's just not what you thought it would be. Now, I'll bring this up, these unmet expectations, because uh, Christmas is going to do that, you guys. Christmas is going to raise your expectations in a way that it cannot pay out. Uh, the, the Christmas industrial complex, it is full on, and it is absolutely pummeling you with that message of the highest expectations. It, all the magic, man. It's making your expectations go through the roof. And if the commercials are right, someone's getting a stinking Lexus with a bow on top of it, right? I mean, I don't know who that guy is, but they're still going to have a $500 a month car note in three years. It's just not gonna. It's, it's just not going to pay out the way we think. Now, here's the deal. So I, today, I want to do you guys a solid because I don't want you to feel gross on Christmas morning. I don't want I don't want you to feel that hangover. I want it to be a joyful morning. I want it to pay out for you. Now listen. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I love Christmas, man. I'm like so in on Christmas. I'm not a Grinch. I'm not like one of those fundamentalist Christians who are like, oh, Christmas trees have pagan roots, whatever. No, I'm out. Like, I am so in. Jesus redeemed the tree. I'm all in on Christmas. I'm like that absurd dude who had Christmas up before Thanksgiving. Who does that? Yeah, we did that. I'm in. But here's the thing, is I am not naive, to what Christmas can do when it's misguided. And so what I want to do today, this is kind of like a homily, just a one-point sermon, is I want us to see how our hope in Jesus is the only thing that can give you that buoyant peace, that peace that can pay out, that, that can meet your deepest longings, that peace. That's what I want for you today. And we're going to look at how Isaiah chapter 9 does that. All right, so that's one, one point sermon today. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to give ourselves to the reading of God's word. And you have seen it already painted all throughout the service. So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. Hear now the very words of God. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God and these promises will endure forever. May bless it for God's people. Amen. You may be seated. So... um. You guys know a little bit about me. When I was in college, I went to the United States Air Force Academy and so they do these like really extensive like physical examinations. They they want to see if you are PQ, pilot qualified, because they just produce a bunch of pilots up there. So one of the main parts of this physical examination is checking out your eyes. They want to make sure that your eyes are good, right? They don't want some blind dude up in an F-16, right? That'd be a bad idea. So they do these things. So I set up an appointment with the doctor on the day of the eye examination, and the doctor says to me, hey, um, do you have someone who can like drive you home? Uh, I'm like, that's an interesting thing. Or if you have errands to do that day, you're going to need some help. You're not going to be able to drive. And I thought, don't you just like point out like letters, like on a line? I don't know what's going on here. So I'm like, mm, that sounds a little bit overrated. So I show up on the day of the exam examination. I don't know if there's any eye doctors around here or listening in at home, but they start putting these drops in your eyes, right? They dilate your eyes and it doesn't feel like anything, honestly. And I do the test and it's fine. The test goes great. And then they give me these like really obnoxious like cardboard like glasses, right? Like they kind of look like 3D glasses from the 80s or whatever. So they give me these things and I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to be sporting these glasses. These are ugly. Besides, I'm fine, right? So I, you know, graciously receive them. I put them in my pocket. And like a dummy, I walk out into the beautiful Colorado sky. And I am telling you, It was knee-buckling, bright sun. I mean, what could take a healthy college kid to his knees? And I am telling you, that sun was so stinking bright. I'm like fumbling for those obnoxious glasses. Why do I bring this to your attention? That knee-buckling, bright light is what the people saw here in Isaiah 9. It is like that, something that could bring them to their knees, and, and, and I want to explain the context. I want to give you a glimpse of how Isaiah 9 uh, works. But in order to kind of set this up, I actually need to take you all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve. They're hanging out in an awesome garden. Everything's perfect. Life is good, right? Except they decided that they could be better at God's job than God. And so they kind of get co-opted into this plan with the serpent. Now, the serpent is like this manifestation of evil. So they eat of the forbidden fruit, right? They pound out some apples or some tomatoes or whatever fruit it was, and everything changed. The beauty and the perfection, it all changed in an instance. And, and, and corruption moved into everything. Every aspect of life. Everything went wrong. So, that relationship between God and man, broken. That relationship between man and man, broken. Man's relationship with himself, broken. And even man's relationship with the rest of creation, it is all a mess. And in that moment, from there was perfect beauty, and now there's like Total corruption, and, and, and things are messy, and they're, Adam and Eve are still trying to figure things out. There's kind of like this fog. I mean, it is fresh. In that moment, God speaks to Adam and Eve and, and even to the serpent. And now, what he says is what commentators, theologians call the proto right? Or the first gospel, all right? That's just a fancy word. The first gospel, and he looks at them, and in that fog of war, he says to them, he says, there will come one day someone who will crush the head of evil, the serpent, the, 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 the agent of evil and death. His head's going to get crushed. Oh, he's going to bruise this, the agent, this, this coming one, this promised one's heel.'" But, you know, Bruce Hill's way better than a crushed head. We think we can all agree. That was given right away. And so the whole Old Testament is going to play this out. Uh, this promise um, happens, it begins, um, it runs through the heart of the people of Israel from the very beginning. It's, it's woven into every story. In the whole Old Testament, it begins with, like, through the line of Abraham, right? So through Abraham, God forms a people, and that turns into the nation of Israel. Now, years later, you have this country, Israel, and they have a civil war. And so Israel is kind of divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom that keeps the name Israel, and they're, they're, like, really bad. And then you have, like, the southern kingdom who takes the name Judah, And they're kind of good and kind of bad. They're more of like a mix. And so what happens is about 700 years before Jesus is born, all right, there is this big country that comes to power in the east of both Israel and Judah. It's called Assyria, all right? They're like the big bullies on the block. And there is this dude named Tiglath-Pileser III. All right, what kind of name is that? He's like the third, like his dad and his grandpa were named that. And uh, everyone is afraid of getting taken out by Assyria. And so what the northern kingdom, Israel, starts doing is they start making these alliances with these smaller pagan countries, right? But here's the deal. God says, do not make alliances with anyone. You have to trust me. Don't look to pagan things to give you peace. Don't look to pagan things, things anything that's not me, to protect you. Well, the northern kingdom just doesn't care. And so what they try to do is they try to get the, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, this guy named Ahaz, to, um, to join their alliance. Now, he says no, right, to their little confederation, right? The, the, the new, like, faux justice league or the faux avengers that are kind of forming there or whatever. But now, like, the south is in a pickle. Assyria is getting really, really powerful. The faux justice league is threatening to attack the southern kingdom. And, uh, and the south is just supposed to trust the Lord alone, make no alliances. And so what does Ahaz, the king of the south, do? He uses this logic. The the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So he makes an alliance with Tiglath-Peliaser III in Assyria. And guess what ends up happening? It doesn't work out for them. They don't get protection. They become a puppet state. They become like a vassal kingdom of Assyria. And the people of Judah, they really start to suffer. They really start to struggle because their king would not listen to God. And here's the principle. When you, make, when you place your hope or make an alliance with anything that's not God, it is really fragile. It is really fragile, and it won't turn out for you. So that's where the people found themselves, man. They're they're suffering under the reign of a king who did the exact wrong thing. And it's in that context, you guys, that Isaiah chapter 9 is given. That's when Isaiah begins to speak. So they're wallowing around in darkness, and boom, knee-buckling bright light breaks through. And these people found this bright, brilliant hope. But it is as intolerable as the sun after you've had your eyes dilated, right? Why, why, is it so why is it so intolerable for them? Well, they have kind of a history. They're a little bit cynical at this point. So the verse right before where our passage picks up in verse 1, we learned that the actual region in which the location of this prophecy is in the Galilee of the nations. All right. So you guys know the Galilee as the place where Jesus grew up. But let me tell you what else else the Galilee is. It is a corridor, a piece of land. And when empires were coming to Israel to lay siege on Jerusalem, they would go through the Galilee. All right. And you know what? Empires, when they're about to lay siege, do when they come through? They rape and they pillage and they're violent. And then if they don't win and they're on their way out, guess what they do? They double down. And so Galilee has this really violent history. And so Isaiah is saying to like those people who are ground zero of this violence, those who have walked in darkness, verse two, he's saying they're the ones who have seen a great light. And not only that, in verse 3, he says, you have increased its joy. It's it's what? It's joy. Verse 4, the yoke of burden, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. All right, let me just translate that for you. Midian is like this battle that was won by Israel when all they did was play a few stinking trumpets and bang on some pots and pans. Like that was their strategy for winning the war, and it totally worked. Like that's what they're talking about. Like God did this amazing thing. And then verse 5, all the battle equipment is being repurposed for a bonfire Like, bring out the marshmallows and and s'mores, you know, like, they're, they're like totally pumped. This is incredible. And so the question is, where is this unbreakable hope, this anticipation, where's this expectation like coming from? How? Why? And that, a kind, where is this, a kind of anticipation that could actually really pay out, that it actually can satisfy those deepest longings? where there is no letdown. How, who, better than a Christmas morning. And then Isaiah, Isaiah goes like all lion king on us, right? He's like metaphorically holding up this future king, right? He's like, here's your king. And all, like, the, all, the, all the chaos, right? He's bringing peace to all of that disorder and chaos. Why? Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, you guys, we have heard that verse a thousand times. That's a really weird thing to say. Like when my son Micah was born, I didn't just hold him up and say, hey, to us, Micah has been born. Like who talks like that? No one talks like that. And yet Isaiah is saying there is a child who is born to us. And that peace that we want, that peace that is otherwise so fragile and delicate, it doesn't come from making alliances, right? It comes from this child. It comes from the promises of God, not the promises of materialism. Now think about this, you guys, because y'all know this. You know this. The kid who works so hard in high school and just wants to go to Harvard He just knows if he can just get into Harvard, he can have the life that he wants. He'll finally be happy. And then he gets in, he does it. And what happens? Four years of anxiety and pressure and comparison. Four years of imposter syndrome. And it's not, wasn't what he thought it would be. Or about that guy who really wants the girl And he knows if he can just get the girl, if he can just marry her, he will finally be happy. He just knows that this, if God will just give him the girl, and then he gets her, and they get married. And marriage is not what he thought it would be, because it's hard. Or the woman who really wants a child. And she just begs the Lord for a child. He just, she knows that if she, if she could just have a child, she'll finally be happy, she'll be realized. And by God's grace, she gets a child. But the sorrows of parenting break a parent's heart in a way that's hard to explain. And listen, these are all great things. We should want these things, but they are not God. Don't make alliances. None of them, however good and sincere desires they are, they are not buoyant enough to hold your peace and your anticipation of those things will turn into unmet expectations and soon you're going to be wallowing in a dark soul resentment. I don't want that for you. So 2,700 years ago, Isaiah gave people a promise of a king who could hold their hope, who's not afraid of the highest anticipation. And he wasn't like your normal king, right, with political and wartime savvy. That's not what he was about. He was wonderful counselor. He was not just an average man. He was mighty God, everlasting father. He is the one who can give you peace. And you know why? Because peace is his domain. He is the prince of peace. And so listen, Advent. Advent this, this moment on our calendar, it's all about reminding our hearts, baking it into our souls, this peace, a peace that comes with really, really, really high expectations, but can be satisfied in Christ. And so if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you are making alliances with anything else instead of resting in Jesus, I want to help you understand why it's not working for you. <laughs> the problem's not Jesus. It's that you've put something on Jesus's throne You're swimming without goggles, and you're wondering why your eyes are burning. And I'm telling you, Christian, listen, that's why we have Advent. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're not a Christian and you're just listening in, I'm so thankful that you're here. We're so honored to have you. Thanks for listening to how Christians talk about Jesus and why we celebrate and why we interrupt our schedules on, time, uh, on occasion. But I want to interpret that restlessness while you're listening in, while you're listening to this podcast, while you're here. I want you to know what you're looking for. There is a restlessness in your heart that can go away, can be replaced with a buoyant peace in Jesus That's what this is all about. This is why Christians are so crazy nuts about the Savior. He can be yours. I would love to talk about it with you if you want to just explore it. Not that I have all the answers, but I'd love to explore it more with you. And what what I want you to hear, and I'll end right here, is that the peace that God is offering us is not a peace that comes with breathing techniques, right? This isn't just some sort of yoga on drugs, and you're just, that's not, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a soul peace. See, we are naturally at odds, at war with God, and Jesus brokered a, pre, a peace treaty with him. Don't you see? And so now we're, we're not at war with God, we're at peace with him. And now our soul that was otherwise fractured is being put to, the, put to rights. That's what we're talking about. I want that for you. I want that for my own family, my own children. I pray that this Advent season would be just what you're looking for. Amen.